Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. He is going to review their history and their rebellion specifically some of their shortfalls from, the, from their sins in the desert. And so God is going to do that, not so that he can rub their nose in it, but because we need, again, to, to hear these things. God never apologizes for the amount of times that he repeats himself. And oftentimes we can read through the Bible, and if you've read through the Bible enough, you'll come across familiar passages. And it's so tempting as human beings to just kind of float by the passage and say, I've read that before, I know that. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob continues our study in chapter 9 of the book of Deuteronomy. In our scripture for today, God continues to remind the nation of Israel of their past, but this time of their rebellion to God's commands. Our God always makes sure that we know exactly what He is telling us, mostly through His Word. That's why it is so important to continually read His Word and not to ignore those things that we think we already know. God's Word is alive and is a constant light to our path. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9. If you remember last week, we looked at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and uh, Moses is continuing in this, these sermons. There's three or four sermons that he is going to be delivering to this new generation before they go into the promised land, and, and he's rehearsing for them their history. Remember the old... Uh, the, the older generation, they've been out there for 40 years. God said that because of their unbelief and their rebellion and their stubbornness that they were going to die out in the wilderness, and that is exactly what happened. And, and, um, and so now this new generation is about to come into this land, and God is going to rehearse for them the things that they need to remember because all of that journey, those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, that wasn't because God was slack or that God needed um, time. They actually needed the time because God proved them in the wilderness. Because in that wilderness experience, you know the the, the phrase, the ends never justify the means? Well, the end is very easy. The end could have taken them two weeks or less to get from uh, Ramesses over to the promised land. That's about how long it would have taken with a couple million people, two two and a half million people, we think. But yet it took them 40 years. And it took them 40 years because God had to do a work in them. He had to give them a, he had to work in them and allow them to go through certain things that would prove them. And we need to be proved. You know, just like a, someone who's buying a vase in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a market somewhere, if you're an antique collector or you really know what you're looking at, you're going to hold that vase up to the sun and you're going to look through it and you're going to see if there's any cracks because they can fill that stuff with wax. 
and they can make it look like it was never broken. Um, but, you know, you hold it up to the light and it shows the imperfections. And God has to do that with us. And he doesn't do it to discourage us. He rather does it so that we can know who we are. And that by knowing who we are, we realize the great gulf that's between us and him. And we cry out to him. And he's the one who is the mediator. He is the one who is the uh, intercessor between us, between God the Father and us. And so we have to go through that, unfortunately. Because in that, in the, the ends not justifying the means, the, the, the means is the important stuff. That's really the important stuff. There's certainly a shortcut to get from point A to point B, but God is involved, and he's very much concerned in, in about the intricacies of how we get to point A to point B. It's not just getting there. It's getting from that place to that place. How did you get there? How did you get there? And so that's what this is all about. And so the children of Israel are being encouraged again, and just being um, Moses is rehearsing before them, their history, and they need to understand the history. The Bible, or it's been said, um, and I forget the gentleman who quoted. I, I'm, this is just kind of off the top of my head here. There was a a man who qu- made a quote, and he said, um, "What man has learned from history is that he doesn't learn anything from history." And certainly, the children of Israel they they had um, gone through a lot, and you would like to think that they learned the lessons, but they didn't, and. Before we're too hard on them, we have to remember our own selves because I often have to go through the same thing over and over again before I finally realize, God, you are true. And I think that I, could get, I, I, think that I can do something better and not get caught or I can circumvent your process and get there quicker, but it's never that way with the Lord. The Lord has a, a perfect way, and, and sometimes that perfect way is different from the way we think. It defies our logic. And God's ways sometimes can be crooked. Sometimes, and they're not crooked morally, but they're, they're a meandering path. And I look back on my own life, and perhaps you can look at yours, and you can look back and you say, Lord, you got me from where I was to where I am today. And wow, the journey that I went through during that passage. And I look back on my life, and honestly, if you were to tell me that I'd be a pastor of this church, I would have laughed and I probably would have run the other way, honestly. Especially before I became a Christian, you know. But now it's the greatest blessing of my life. It's the greatest joy in my life. This is the thing I get to do. I'm so thrilled to be able to do this. It's sort of like giving uh, candy to a baby and saying, stand up in front of everybody with a microphone and lick your lollipop, you know, and, and you have that, that smiley face on it. You know, you're kind of, you know, you're, just, you're happy-go-lucky and nobody's going to get a lick because it's mine. <laughs> but I'm only kidding about that. But, you know, just so excited uh, for what the Lord is doing. He, he is so good. And his ways are faithful and true. And last week we looked at chapter 8 in Deuteronomy. And this is when the Lord was just really encouraging them to remember. Remember the things that you had gone through. And um, again, it's so important to remember. But in chapter 9 this evening, um, he is going to review their history and their rebellion specifically. Some of their shortfalls from, the, from their sins in the desert. And so God is going to do that. Not so that he can rub their nose in it, but because we need again to to hear these things. God never apologizes for the amount of times that he repeats himself. And oftentimes we can read through the Bible, and if you've read through the Bible enough, you'll come across familiar passages. And it's so tempting as human beings to just kind of float by the passage and say, I've read that before, I know that. But then the Lord gives you something special in that verse, and all of a sudden that there's a, something in there that just kind of comes to life for you. 
And, uh, and, and that's the way the Lord likes to work, you know. And so we can never, um, even though it's very familiar to us, never, never just gloss over things. Say, Lord, I've read this a lot, and I, I need to know something deeper to this. It's like an onion. You know, when you peel an onion, you just keep peeling those layers off, those, you know, and then you're just getting down to the very core of it. And that's the way the Word of God is. It's multifaceted. It's a living Word. It's not just a novel that you can read once and put out for 25 cents at the garage sale. No, this Bible, this Word that we hold is, is living and God has, it's a spiritual book, and that's why it's so difficult for you to read. It's why it's so difficult for you to curl up next to the fire with your Bible. I like to do that, but not everybody likes to curl up. They want to curl up with a, a mystery novel or some kind of science fiction thing. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that either. So let's read in verse 1. He says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to possess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified to heaven. Notice when he says here, and this word in the, in the Hebrew is Shema, and Shema is a very big deal for, the, for a Jew because this word is actually named after one of the synagogues or the, in, here in Rochester, Shema Israel. And Shema literally means hear, but hear with the intention of doing something about it, right? It's, it's, it's hearing with the intention of obedience because you and I both know, and if you have kids, they can hear but it doesn't translate into obedience. It can translate into dead space that goes out the other side and you hear the echo against the wall, right? And so that can happen. But when you hear with the intent of doing, that's a whole different matter. And that is where the difference is between somebody who just reads the Bible and a real disciple of Jesus Christ. A real disciple listens with the intention of doing it, not so that they can tell somebody else about a verse that God told them about. It's very easy to read a verse, say, I got this verse for somebody else. Well, that verse is probably for you too. And so we need to be be thinking like that and always be open. Have your antenna open all the time for what God might want to do. But that's what it means. And the word dispossess there is interesting. You're going to go in and dispossess dispossess nations greater and mighty than, than yourselves. Cities great and fortified to heaven. This word dispossess literally means to drive out the previous tenants. To drive them out and possess their place that they once were. And, you know, in our culture now and in our society, nobody likes the idea of driving anybody out and dispossessing their land. You know, when we think of the Native Indians and the, and the white man and all of these things, there's a lot of tension in our country about these kinds of things. Nobody likes the idea that God would have a people group go in and dispossess another people group and not only dispossess them and give them the land that they are currently possessing, but to actually tell them to go in and wipe out man, woman, and child. That is something that is very foreign to us. And most of us, because we have listened to the world enough, it just seems wrong. It just seems wrong. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, but it is not wrong. You know, and that's one of the greatest problems that unbelievers have with the Bible and God is that why would a holy God allow the Israelites to go into Canaan and to do this, right? We must never think for a moment that our way of thinking is somehow better and more loving or more compassionate than God's. You know, he gave those seven nations. He gave those seven nations hundreds of years to turn from their idolatry. Hundreds of years. Is that grace or what? You know, I think about my short lifespan. My short life, 80, 90 years maybe at the most, and we're talking about hundreds of years. He gave the Philistines, the Canaanites, the the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites, all of those families of people 
who are pagan idolaters. And we're not just talking about bowing down to an image. We're talking about taking your very newborn child and sacrificing it on an altar to Molech, to a foreign god. And that's what the, and that thing, and they did that for hundreds of years, and they never turned. And God has, when he's, when he's done, he says, I'm done with this. I've given them time to turn from their sin, and now I have to execute judgment. And that's something that people don't like. The Bible calls judgment God's strange work, and it is. It's not something he delights to do, but because he is a holy God, he has to judge. He loves to love, and he hates to judge, but he will judge because he's holy. He's holy. This facet of God that we don't quite understand, and I'm so glad that I'm not on the business end of God. He took the business end out on his son, didn't he, Jesus, so that we would not suffer that wrath, right? For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? That's what the Bible says. So for almost 430 years, while they were in Egypt, God was still dealing with that people group there in Canaan, those seven nations. In verse 2 it says, you're going to dispossess a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Now, Anak, or the Anakim, are a race of people. Anakim are, whenever you see I am at the end of any noun in the Bible, like Anakim or Elohim, Elohim, Elohim means plural, right? We know that that's the, tri, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But when it's talking about a people group, the Anakim, they are descendants from a man called Anak. And Anak is the progenitor of this race of people. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 6, it says that, that there were giants in the land in those days before the flood. And, um, and these giants were literally the Nephilim. And these Nephilim, we don't know a lot about. We can't really be dogmatic uh, about who these people were. But they were men, and they were people of really large stature. And, and somehow these men, were, um, they passed on this monstrous gene to their family members, and, and, and they're just men of renown, very large men. And we believe that these men were possessed by demons. And they were completely out of control completely out of control, taking more wives to themselves because they were strong, they were demon-possessed, and these men were just a terror to the earth. Everybody feared them because of not only their stature, but when you've got a, a very large man who's possessed by a demon, you've got a real problem. <laughs> you've got a real problem. And so that's who these people were. In fact, in Numbers chapter 13, uh, verse 33, it says, and there, and th- this is when the spies had just come back from the land of Canaan when they went in to uh, spy out the land. It says, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak come, uh, of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. So these huge people, um, there was something really unique about them, and don't really know a lot about them. There's a lot of speculation about, you know, fallen angels, you know, breeding with women and all these other kinds of things. But the Bible says that angels can't be given in marriage to, uh, to humans. And so um, I'm, I tend to lean on the side of these were just really, these guys were genetic nightmares who were just happened to be possessed by demons. And so now you've got this uh, really interesting race of, of men, of people. And so, and we can see uh, what, what the, who these men are. They're just 
the Anakim were just descendants from this gentleman or this man by the name of Anak, and he was the progenitor of that race. And then it goes on in verse 3, and it says, Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Notice that was the Lord's desire, that they would go in, and that um, God says he will destroy them, and he will bring them down before you. He's going to do the work. But you've got to follow through and go in and, and continue the campaign, right? And, and that's really where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? You know, God, um, God does everything for us. And a lot of times, he just wants us to go in and, and clean up the mess. So often, that's the way it is in the Old Testament. If they were faithful and just were obedient to God, God would work mightily on their behalf. And God has an unfair advantage because he's the creator of all flesh, He's a creator of all things. So he can go in and he can cause the Amalekites, who are great in number, and against a very small band of Gideons, 300 Gideons, you know, men of Gideon, are going against this huge army, and God can work in such a way where they get confused, they get spooked somehow, and all of a sudden, psychologically, there's a lot of things going on, and all of a sudden, they're turning their swords on each other, and only God can do that. He, is, he has a, a really wonderful way of intervening on the behalf of his children, um, especially when they're walking in obedience, and especially sometimes when we're not walking in obedience. He's not forced to do good to us when we are disobedient. But again, I love those times when I know that I have made mistakes or I have sinned and God blesses me because he knows how I'm going to respond to it because he knows all things. He's omniscient, right? And so when I fail, when I sin, and he treats me so well that day, just circumstances just seem to go well for me that day. When they could, He could have orchestrated it and made my day really bad just to prove to me that, oh, I'm not happy with you. But no, that's not the way it is. I've experienced days like that where I've really blown it and God has really, really blessed me. And at the end of the day, I just go, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you really that good, Lord? And he's like, yeah, I really am that good. And, you know, and that's the time you worship him and you just give thanks to him. So, verse 4, he says, Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you. Notice that, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because, notice, this is what I was talking about earlier, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It's their wickedness. That's why I'm driving it out. Not because you've got some great thing to bring to the, to the, to the table, Israel. In fact, you're not a great people. You're a small people. You're few in number, but I'm going to be exalted through you. I'm going to work through you. And I'm driving out these nations because they are wicked. They've been wicked for hundreds of years, but the time has come when I'm going to drive them out before you. And so, you know, again, God gave them so much time to turn from their sin. And and I love the fact, in, in Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. You know, you think about Israel, and you think, well, of course, they're God's people. And then you think about other nations like the, the Girgashites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the, the, these seven nations that they were going in to dispossess. These were Gentiles, and yet God was holding them accountable for their sin. And no doubt they had people going to them. They had an awareness of what they were doing was wrong, and God would judge them for what they knew. 
what they knew. But I love this because it says, The earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. So everyone belongs to God. It's not just for the Jews, but God holds every people, every person accountable to him. He's not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of all. And so verse 5, it is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because, again, the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And you know, there's a a list of verses up here on the screen, and we're not going to go through all of them, but let me just read a couple of them uh, just to encourage you, because they actually go in order. The first one's to Abraham, a promise that God made to Abraham. The second one is to Isaac. The next one is to Jacob. And to Abraham, he said this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. We're just going to read the first few verses of this. The Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, Abraham, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. Notice the confidence in God. Certainly there was no confidence in Abraham. <laughs> I'm not a blessing, Lord. I'm more like a liability. <laughs> but he says, no, you're, gonna, you're going to be a blessing, Abraham. You can't see it right now. You don't even understand it. You don't even have all the pieces together. They're all scattered about, and that's okay. God says, because I'm going to put those pieces together in my time, in my way, and at the end of the day, at the end of when things start coming together, you're going to see this beautiful tapestry that I built of your life. And you're going to know that I am the Lord your God who sees the end from the beginning. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And I'll bless you and I'll make your name great. And I will bless, verse 3, those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then going on to Genesis chapter 26, the first five verses, it says, there was a famine in the land. And here God is just reiterating the same promise to, to Isaac. This land that they're about to go and possess. This was a promise that I gave to your fathers. Is God trustworthy? Is God able to keep his promise? He is. And God keeps his promises. We are the promise breakers. God is the promise keeper. He always keeps his promise. He never goes back. He never can go back. And why? Because he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He has all of these things at his disposal. He doesn't need to lie because he knows the whole truth. People lie because they want to cover up things. But God knows all things. He knows all things. And he knows he's seen everything as if it has already occurred. So he doesn't need to tell an untruth about something. He's already seen my life and your life as if it's already a vapor, as if it, he knew the day you were born and he knows the day you're going to pass away. He knows the circumstances of your life, every detail of your life, but he gives you the, the sovereignty over your own life, and yet he is sovereign, almighty God. I love that. He's completely sovereign, but yet he gives you the ability to deny him or to, or to accept him or to be obedient or to be disobedient. See, that's who we serve. That's the great God we serve. Doesn't he deserve worship? Man, when you start thinking about the greatness of that mind, of that holy heart of his, it just causes you to just want to flop on the ground and wiggle <laughs> and, and just say, Lord, I am undone. Now we understand why the men in the Bible, when they came into a presence of, of God in some pre-incarnate form, or even standing before an angel, if, even if an angel of God was to appear before us in this room right now, not even God himself, not even Jesus, but just an angel, very naturally we would fall to our ground 
with our faces. It would be like an involuntary. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, Simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location, and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.